You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com. Well, if you if we haven't met, uh, it's good to good to meet all meet all of you up on stage here. My name is Ryan Betcher. Uh, I'm so grateful to be here this morning. Um, my wife Bliss is back here. We're we're coming from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. The the bitter cold of uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I believe we just brought some of it with us. You're welcome. Um, we were hoping for a little warmer weather, but that's okay. We'll get it, we'll get it eventually. So. Um, so it's good to be here, and we're, we're really excited to, to meet all of you after the service and have some time to spend together. So hopefully we can, I can meet you, know, learn your names, forget about your names <laughs> a couple times here and there, and then eventually get to know you even more uh, in the coming season. Uh, but this morning, we're going to turn our eyes on the transfiguration, as that's the, the center of our reading. Um, before we begin, let me just say a quick prayer uh, before, we, before we start in this. Come, Holy Spirit, come with energy divine and with beams of mercy shine on our hearts this morning, for we need you. Amen. Today we proclaim the good news that as we take up our cross and follow Jesus, in the midst of a broken and disconnected world, God is present to us in, in the transfigured face of Christ showing us what it means to be human and inviting us to participate in his divine life, even as we share in his suffering. Let me say that again, because it's kind of packed, there's a lot packed in there. Today we pro proclaim the good news that as we take up our cross and follow Jesus in the midst of the broken and disconnected worlds, God is present to us in the transfigured face of Christ, showing us what it means to be human and inviting us to participate in his divine life, even as we share in his suffering. We are once again on the cusp of the season of Lent, which is coming a little bit later this year than normal. I don't know if you've started to feel that or not. Uh, typically, not, it kind of it moves all over the place, obviously. But this year, it's a little bit later. I was reminded of, of this recently when a friend of mine jokingly said, I am so over Epiphany Tide. Bring on Lent already. Like, whoever says that, right? It's Lent. <laughs> but there is this collective sense, I, it, at least it's in me, I don't know if, if you feel this or not, that we need Lent in our lives right now for some reason. It just, there's this collective sense that like, man, Lent, we're looking forward to it for some reason this year, and I don't know what that is. However, Epiphany Tide is not going away without a bang. It, won, it wants to get us, uh, it wants to get one final word in uh, before we begin the season of Lent. And that, that last word is what we're celebrating today, Transfiguration Sunday, where we get to focus our attention on the transfigured Christ on Mount Tabor. But what is really going on in the Transfiguration? What, what's, what's this event all about in the, gospel, in, the gospels, um, in the Gospel of Luke specifically? Is Jesus' goal here just to kind of dazzle us, amaze the disciples? Is he changing into something different? Is he um, transforming into something new? Like what, what's going on in this, in this text? That's like at the center of the question that like I always come to when I, whenever I approach the transfigures, it's like, what is going on? Like why this in the middle of 
the story of the Gospels of Jesus' life and ministry leading up to his death and resurrection. It's so rich with meaning. It's, it's so incre- incredibly fascinating, and there's so much packed into this one little story that there's pretty much no way I can cover it all, but I'd like to highlight a few things and make a few observations about it. And I actually want to use, I don't know, if, Sean, you've done this before, but I actually want to use the icon of the Transfiguration as our guide a little bit today. So I, if you, I'm sure you guys know about this, uh, but the icon of the Transfiguration, we've got it uh, posted over here. Uh, feel free if you need to, like, uh, as we're walking through things, to go over to gaze on the icon uh, as I'm talking, because I'm going to kind of reference it a few times. It's big enough where you can probably see it from your seats, but feel free. We're Anglicans. We like to use our bodies in worship, so if you need to get up, maybe it's just an excuse to get up just to kind of, uh, so you don't fall asleep in the middle of the sermon, that kind of thing, but uh, we will reference it a few times uh, throughout the sermon. But as we keep going, sorry. But we want to use all of our senses in worship, so feel free to get up, stand, and, and gaze on it, or listen just to the words that I'm saying. Uh, that one of the central themes that we see in the icon of the Transfiguration, and wh- one, of the, one of the themes that we see in the Transfiguration story this morning is this, this theme of mountains. Jesus is, is, and the disciples are ascending Mount Tabor. We see Jesus in the icon on the top of this mountain, and we see Moses and Elijah next to him. On th- in this icon specifically, they're on t- two separate mountains, Moses and Elijah. They're on separate mountains that give some indication of what's going on here. Um, they are on their own mountains because they're, they're, it's a, to signify the mountains that they both uh, were up on as they encountered God in the stories in the Old Testament. Mountains are important in the scriptures. If you, if you read about a mountain in the scriptures, there's a good chance that it's a place where God is encountering his people. It's a place where God shows up. For Moses, his mountain, Mount Horeb or Sinai, depending on uh, who, who you're talking to, uh, in our Old Testament reading this morning, we get to see him up on the mountain encountering God in a very specific way. God meets with Moses, establishes his law and covenant with his people. And this is like a, a similar to Jesus in the Transfiguration. It's this like shining, radiant glory that falls upon Moses. For Elijah, it's a little bit of a different story. I don't know if you know the story of Elijah on Mount Horeb. Uh, his encounter with God was a lot different. Does anyone know what his encounter was like? Anyone have a still small voice? He, he encountered God in a much different way, but he still had this encounter on Mount Horeb in this still small voice with God. So that's one thing. He, we see uh, this this interaction where Jesus and the disciples go up on, onto Mount Tabor, and in that space, they encounter God in a very unique and specific way. The second thing I want to highlight from the icon is the way that this radiant light emanates out from Jesus. Luke says that Jesus' face was transfigured and his clothes were dazzling white. A cloud came down and settled on, on the scene. In the transfiguration icon, you can see this dazzling light it's shown to emanate out from Jesus in all different directions. It's not just like his clothes were shining, but actually the light is going out into the world. And these beams of light are actually directed 
you know, in all sorts of diff different directions, but they're actually directed at people. Moses, Elijah, the disciples. In the icon worlds, these beams of light actually signify that the divine life is being transmitted and shared with those who are present. It's not just like razzle-dazzle, right? It's not just like, oh, he, he's glorious in this moment. He's actually sharing of himself in this scene. God is sh sharing his own life and his own light with, with us in the transfiguration. The last thing I want to point out in the icon of the transfiguration, uh, and it's specific to the icon itself, but I think it's, it actually is kind of undergirding this whole scene in the transfiguration story in Luke, is what, what is known as the mandorla, the good old mandorla. Mandorla is actually an Italian word uh, for almonds, which is, doesn't mean anything other than if you actually look at it, behind Jesus and surrounding Jesus is this almond-shaped kind of ring uh, that actually is supposed to represent that. It's not Je just Jesus here. This is actually the Trinity, like Jesus, uh, God, the Father, Holy Spirit are in this, this scene. The Trinity, the triune God is present in the scene. In icon lore, the mandorla, this almond kind of shaped depiction of who Jesus is, it's a pretty big deal. It's meant to, de to depict that a sacred moment is happening. A sacred moment that transcends time and space. And we see that in this, in this story. This is why uh, Peter's like, we need to keep this forever. We need to save this, bottle it up. We need to have this, whatever this is happening. We want to we wanna keep this here. The glory, the dazzling white, the transfigured face of Jesus, the cloud descending, the voice of God speaking, this is my son, my chosen, listen to him. This is all like wrapped up in this idea that God is coming near. He is present. This was a thin place in the Gospel of Luke, a place where heaven and earth are coming near to each other. So I have a couple of observations that I just want to point out as we look at the icon, as we, as we think about the transfiguration story. And the first is this, that Jesus wasn't just there to dazzle the disciples. And it wasn't something that like knew that was happening. It wasn't like this weird transformation that Jesus was going through. And the transfiguration events, as I see it, and as I read it, and as I reflect, and as I look at the icon, what I see is that a veil is being pulled back. The veil between heaven and earth is actually being pulled back for just a moment, and the disciples actually get to catch a glimpse of who Jesus truly is. They get to see the, the reality behind the veil. And this is the reality that, that I think is at play here. The reality is, is that God is always present and at work in the world. God is always present and at work. Jesus, we get to see this, this presence. It's not just that he's a human and that we just get, get to catch a glimpse of his divinity in this moment. It's pulling back the veil and, and showing us that those two things are, are true at the same time, always and everywhere. God is always present in that work. And sometimes we just need the veil to be lifted to be able to see it. This isn't just a proof text to show that Jesus was really God. That's actually how I kind of grew up learning about it. It's like, oh, this is the story that shows that Jesus was God, so we can all believe that now. It's way more than that. This transfiguration event is actually showing us what true humanity looks like. 
This is Jesus fully human, the most real human that ever existed. As I was thinking about this and as, as I was reflecting on this, immediately what came to mind is the book The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis. I don't know if you've ever read this book. It's one of my favorite of all time books. It's profoundly ch changed the way that I kind of see the world. But in, in the, if you haven't read it, The, the Great Divorce is an allegory. Uh, C.S. Lewis is trying to give us a picture of what heaven and hell are like. So he, he takes us on this journey, uh, this, these, this group of people come to the outskirts of heaven, and heaven is kind of depicted as, as this beautiful land that goes up into the mountains, and they're at the very outskirts, the edges of heaven, and they're just get, kind of getting to experience what it's like a little bit. And in the story, uh, people from heaven are coming down to meet with all the people kind of at the edges. They're like not sure if they want to actually go up or be in heaven. They, they kind of liked what they were, at, what they were doing in, in the other world. Um, so they're just kind of like getting their feet wet a little bit on this, this whole heaven thing. And one of the things that they realize as soon as they step off the bus and they're standing at the edges of heaven is that the grass is sharp. It's like diamonds. It's cutting their feet. And like everything is bright and radiant and the people like are shining and like this transfiguration moment in the story is like everything just seems so crazy and surreal and all, and all this stuff. And the narrator in the story, as he, as he goes on, what he starts to realize is that no, that's not all like shining and radiant and crazy, you know, wild and dazzling and all that stuff. It's not that, it's that we're just mere shadows. Like we're the ones who are not real. This is like, they are real. They're like, the grass is, is, is just, is like the most real grass you could ever imagine. We just don't, we're not real enough to be able to experience it. And I think that's such a great picture of what we're seeing in this event is that Jesus in his radiance is actually just, it's just an event where we get to see what, what it is to be, to be truly transfigured, to be truly human. Second observation that I have this morning that I want to talk about is, and it's, it's taking this argument of Jesus' humanity even further, I think. Because I think there's, there's actually more going on here. It's, you know, we see Jesus truly human, but he, he's still, it's, it's in his glory, right? He's, he's shining, he's radiant. Uh, it's this moment just of like dazzlement for the disciples. But I think it, it speaks to our own huma humanity as well. And, and the context, I think, in this story is important because we see Jesus' humanity in the transfiguration, which is, is you know, we, it's, it's all about glory. It's all about, like, this just, like, amazing presence of God moment. But right before the transfiguration, and we didn't read it today, but right before the transfiguration, Jesus proclaims for the first time to his disciples that he is going to go die. Jesus is going to the cross and his disciples are like, what the heck? Like, Jesus, like, you came to be the Messiah. Why in the world would you go to the cross? Why would you suffer? Why would you die? All this, all this, you know, they're, they're just confused. And, and so it makes sense in a way that Jesus would immediately, you know, after proclaiming this, that he's going to go, he's going to be, he's going to suffer, he's going to be killed, and he's going to be raised again to new life. It makes sense that he would give them a, a picture of, like, glory, right? Like, the transfiguration moment. It makes sense that he, would, that he would give them that kind of sense of like, you know, this is who I am. But there's another mountain that Jesus has to climb. And he's, 
He's obviously talked about it right before this transfiguration event. There's another mountain that Jesus has to climb, another high place in which we are going to encounter God. On one end of Lent, we've got the transfiguration where we see Jesus in his glory. But then there's a, another mountain, another hill that Jesus will, will, will climb. And I, th I think actually these hills, so I'm, I'm stretching a little bit because you know it's Calvary, Golgotha, it's a hill, it's not really a mountain per se, but just work with me here. I think, it, I think there's this really interesting, unique way in which you see these two stories of Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration and Jesus on the cross on Calvary, and they're paralleled, right? They're, there's so many similarities between these two stories. We've got Jesus ascending Mount Tabor and standing at the top on, on one end of Lent. On the other end of Lent, we've got Jesus lifted up on the cross in Calvary. On Tabor, we've got Jesus with Moses and Elijah on each side of him. On the Mount of Calvary, we've got these two thieves that are raised up next to Christ. On Tabor, we've got the three disciples who are there to witness the transfiguration of Jesus. And in Calvary, we've got many, many witnesses who, who witnessed the, the death of Christ. True glory and true humanity were on full display in both of these events. And if we, if we hold them together, I think that helps us to see what humanity is all about, like what, what it means for Jesus to be fully human. This week, as we are d diving into the season of Lent, where we will be journeying between these two mountains, they reveal to us Jesus' true humanity, and I think also they help us to reflect on our own humanity. We are called to be transfigured, actually, as Jesus was, as we are also called to suffer as he did. I heard someone once say that in the, in the transfiguration, it reveals to us what it means to be truly human, and that is to suffer as we participate in the divine nature. Like in the great divorce, and you know, bear with me, I know you have, not, not everyone's read it, but I, I encourage you to read it because it's beautiful. But in the great divorce, as the narrator starts walking, he's initially, he's, he's, uh, it, it's so overwhelming and the grass is cutting his feet and he's bleeding and all this stuff. But as he walks, as he starts to walk, it gets a little bit less and a little bit less hard to walk. And so it becomes a little easier to kind of take everything in. In order to become really real, to be fully human, we have to start wa walking on that hard, sharp grass that cuts our feet. We have to suffer a little bit. And there might, there might be parts of us that we need to put to death and there's parts of the, the life of suffering that we need to do in order to keep moving in and further up and further into the mountain. So to recap, the observation one about the transfiguration, this event isn't showing Jesus as some new being. It's not just an attempt to dazzle, but it is pulling back the veil, allowing us to see Jesus' full glory and true humanity on display. Observation two, the transfiguration event is connected to another hill on Calvary and takes us deeper into this reality of his humanity and our own. Glory and suffering are connected. And in the reality, and in, in this reality, we cannot, the, I think the truth in, in, in this reality of holding together glory and suffering I think there's, there's truth for our world, world today because the reality is that, is that in our worlds, most of us, no matter how, we, how hard we try, we're all, we're all about trying to escape suffering. 
Like our world is kind of bent on that. That's like the American dream. That's the, 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 the way in which we try to function in the world is to escape suffering. But what this transfiguration event, and as it's connected to Calvary, what it's showing us is that we're not supposed to escape suffering. We're supposed to enter into it. This is the reality of our worlds, right? This is the reality of sin in our, in our worlds. We cannot escape suffering. We are, because of sin, because of the fall, because of, of everything that happened, we are disconnected from God. We are disconnected from each other. We are disconnected from ourselves, and we are, dis, and we are disconnected from, our, from the earth, like literally from the earth. This isn't anything new. This is what Adam and Eve, they were kicked out of the garden. There's disconnection in the story of Cain and Abel where, where you know, Cain kills Abel. There's disconnection in the Tower of Babel. It, it, it stretches all the way back to the beginning, to, to the beginning of the story in, in Genesis. And I would say that we, we try to fi- find ways to escape and avoid suffering in all sorts of ways in life, and, and it's made even easier nowadays to, to disconnect, to escape, to kind of avoid each other, to avoid uh, ourselves, to avoid God. When we go out in public, oftentimes we'll put on headphones to kind of drown everything out, right? Whether that's podcast or music. We disconnect. We, we, we t- typically tend to avoid uh, any kind of connection with the outer world. We just kind of want to be our, in, in our own little bubble. We binge on things like Netflix to escape kind of the, the disconnects that we, the, and the brokenness that we feel in our worlds. Or maybe it's not Netflix, maybe it's cable news for you, or maybe it's HGTV, I'm not sure exactly what it is for you. And for me, something I've been reflecting on a lot recently is the ways in which our smartphones, and not, not everyone has a smartphone, I applaud you, who don't, for those of you who don't have a smartphone, it's really hard. I'm, I've, I tried once to like, and Bliss can attest to this, I tried once to uh, uh, give up my smartphone for like, a month, I think it was, and I think I lasted less than a week. It was pretty sad. Um, but yeah, we're stuck on our phones. We're, we're, we're literally like so disconnected from the outside world when we have our phones in front of us that we can't even see what's going on. We can't, we can't connect with God, we can't connect with each other. We're just like in our own little worlds, in our smartphones. This is a deep area of repentance for me. This, this incessant need to like check my email, to check social media, to look at the news, like whatever I'm doing on my phone, it's like it's, there's just this deep need to do that and in doing so, I'm just disconnected from everything. I actually have this, this theory I've been thinking about recently. St. Saint, Saint Augustine uh, once said, he, he coined this term incurvatus in se. Incurvatus in se, it's a Latin word for man turned in on himself. That's like sin, has caused us to turn in our, on ourselves. And I actually think he was speaking prophetically about smartphones. <laughs> because like literally we're turned in on ourselves when we're looking at the phone. Like that's how it is. Like if you just observe people out in public, like it's literally like we're turned in on ourselves with our phones. And in the midst of all this disconnection, this brokenness, this isolation from each other, from God, us turning in on ourselves and not being able to see anything beyond ourselves, we desperately need these moments of transfiguration in our lives. We need moments of God breaking in, of heaven coming, come, coming near to earth, 
of life being somehow transfigured so that we can actually see Jesus in ourselves more fully. We need these moments of transfiguration to break in through all of the noise and all the disconnection and all the distraction that we, we live in and, and around every single day of our lives. For me, this actually happened recently. It was, it's a moment of transfiguration that I've been wrestling with uh, in my life. Uh, it, it happened in the midst of one of our daily routines uh, back in Milwaukee. Our five-year-old son, Thaddeus, attends kindergarten. And the school is far enough away in Milwaukee that we have to drive him every day to school. School doesn't have buses or anything like that, so we end up driving him every day. And so there's this insane, like, organized chaos that exists every morning, every afternoon, where all the parents are walking their kids or driving their kids to drop them off at school. It's just insane, because it's like in the middle of like a pretty busy area. And so, so every day, not every day, I don't always do this, my wife and I both kind of share this responsibility, but every day we drive to school, we, we park on one of these side streets, uh, we'll get Thaddeus out of the car, we'll walk him in, um, walk him in with you know a million other kids running around. And I can't help but think, kind of in the midst of this routine of like get him, getting him going, um, kind of walk him in, for me at least, like, like I, as I've reflected on my time doing this, I'm typically already kind of thinking about my day. I'm already thinking about work. I'm already thinking about what I need to accomplish or the conversations I had that week. There's all sorts of things going on in my mind like already, like as soon as I'm waking up and I'm taking my son to school. And I, and I, I can imagine that like this is probably the case for a lot of these other parents too, right? Like you're just already thinking about your day. You just want to get your, your son or your daughter into school so you can get off to work and, and do whatever you need to do for the rest of the day. And then there's Thaddeus in the midst of all this. Like I'm, I'm sitting here like, okay, we got to get in. Let's make this as efficient as possible. Let's get him in the door. And then there's Thaddeus who like who finds a million different ways to distract himself from actually getting into the building. Like in my mind, it's like efficient, like let's get him in, you know. And, and in the winter, especially in Milwaukee, it's even worse because we've got like three foot snow mounds, you know, in between the sidewalk and the street and like, you know, everything, the snow's piling up like crazy. And for Thaddeus, like for whatever reason, snow banks and like he loves them. He's convinced that it's way better to walk on the snowbanks all the way to school, which takes like three to four times as long to get into the school doors. But like, he's like, he's committed. He's just committed to this. I'm like so wrapped up in my day, I'm just like, let's get it, let's get him in. Let's get him into the school let's, so I can go off and do, do my thing. And so I get frustrated. Like Thaddeus is like sitting here, he just wants to play. He just wants to like climb up on the, onto the snowbank and slide down it, all this kind of stuff. He's just, he's so excited, and I'm just sitting here, like, getting more and more frustrated. This is what sanctification is all about, of course. Children, especially, are therefore our sanctification, of course. And in, in, in the midst of this exercise of sanct sanctification for me, when we're taking Thaddeus to school, we always have to cross this street where we encounter this woman named Debbie. She's one of the school crossing guards. She's one of the most faithful people I know in, like, in that she's there. I don't think I've ever taken Thaddeus when she hasn't been there. You know, whether it's 70 degrees or zero degrees, rain, shine, snow, ice, 
whatever it is, Debbie, our crossing guard, is always, always there to walk us across the street. And I don't know how much you guys know about Upper Midwest, but the Debbie is like the perfect embodiment of like a, a good Upper Midwestern, good folk, you know, like with, with the, the accent and everything. She's just like your true Upper Midwesterner. Um, so every day we cross the street and we hear her in her, you know, true Upper Midwest accent. Hey there, how you doing today? You ready to cross the street there? How about this weather here today? Stay, stay warm now, Dare, okay? You, ha- you have yourself a good day now, Dare, okay? Like all this like, you know, typical upper Midwest accent stuff, but she's always asking questions. She's always wishing us well. She's always saying, you know, be safe. And she's just got this, you know, this, this, uh, this excitement about what she's doing. And it, it always feels a little bit awkward for a lot of us who are, who are just trying to get our kids into the school. We're all just like so distracted. We're just like, thanks, you know, like thanks for, you know, helping us cross the street. And the moment of transfiguration in this, in all of this for me is actually uh, something that happened in a conversation that I had with my wife, Bliss. Uh, Bliss has the gift of presence in a way that far exceeds most people I know. Because in the midst of uh, all of these, you know, daily trips to school and back, these daily walks past our crossing guard, Debbie, Bliss had the presence to actually stop and talk to her. To listen to her, you know, story, just to kind of get to know her a little bit. And she found out that Debbie, um, who's this faithful, she's so amazing. She, she found out her story. She actually like said, how are you doing? Like, like, I'd love to get to know you a little bit. And she found out that Debbie had been working years and years and years at the post office. But then found out that she, she got fired. She eventually got fired just because partly because she just could never keep up with the, the changing technology. And like she just couldn't handle it. She like, it wasn't because she wasn't a hard worker or anything like that. She just, she was just, she couldn't keep up with all the technology that was changing and, and just made it hard and she got fired. And after she got fired, she couldn't find another job because, because of the same thing. It's like all of these jobs that, that are out there, they required this technological ability that she just couldn't pick up. And so she really struggled for a season. And then she found this job as a crossing guard, and she, she, she shared with Bliss about how much of a blessing it's been to have work, um, even though it's small, but it's, it's something, it's, it's given her a chance to like use her gifts. Um, it's something she enjoys doing to be able to like kind of help people cross the street in a way that's not just, you know, like we, we've seen other, I don't know if you guys have crossing guards here, but you, you get a lot of different kinds of crossing guards. You know, you get the kind that are just like, they barely step out into the middle of the street and they kind of just, sort of hold up the stop sign, like doing as least amount of work as possible. Like they could care less, you know, whether you make it across the street or not, or so it seems. She's like, she will like, like it, she will dive in front of you before you will cross the street without her getting there. Um, she's like, she's like so good at just like caring for us in that small little window of time in the morning every day. And as Bliss was sharing all this with me, like, you know, about Debbie and losing her job and then finding this and finding joy in it. And uh, I was able, like, it was like a veil was pulled, pulled back for me. Like Jesus was revealing himself 
through Debbie to me. And I was able to realize, gosh, I'm so distracted in the morning. I'm so disconnected. I'm so like concerned with the day and like getting, you know, that I'm not being present to my son. I'm not being present to, this, to the, the world around me at all. Maybe I need to like, and I started thinking like, okay, how do I be more present in this situation? Maybe it's like putting away my phone when, when, when I'm walking, walking Thaddeus to school. Maybe it's like taking a little extra time, maybe suffering a little bit by waking up, making sure we get, get there a little bit earlier so that he can spend time playing on the snowbanks. Maybe it means afterwards not necessarily running to my car and getting home so I can do some work, but actually stopping and chatting with Debbie. And maybe in doing all of that, like, I will be actually more connected to my own humanity in deeper and deeper ways than I have been before. Instead of being that incurvatus and, say, curved in on myself, I will actually be able to be turned out to the world and actually see all sorts of ways in which God might be uh, speaking and 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 presenting him and revealing himself, and I just need that veil pulled away. I was able to actually see Debbie's humanity, not just as a crossing guard who's wonderful and, and quirky and all these kind of things, but actually to see her humanity and, and what she's gone through and, the, and what she brings every day to her job. And in, in, help, in seeing that in her, I can help my, it helps me see my own humanity a little bit better. In a few days, we're going to be beginning this journey in Lent together. And with this journey in Lent, there's this invitation to Lenten disciplines. You know, the often asking question, what are you giving up for Lent? What will your fast look like? Father Sean, I think we'll be sharing, is this happening today or soon? Sharing about uh, the inviting people to... Okay, yeah, good. So... So Father Sean, either today or in the near future, we'll be sharing about um, ways in which you can practice your like Lenten discipline, your Lenten fast this year. This year, And I, I know that he's encouraging people not just to think about what are you fasting from, but like what are you fasting to? Like what are you going to give up, but also what are you going to take on in order to, to kind of journey through this season of Lent together? And I think that's amazing. I love that idea. And as you reflect on that, as you think about what you might give up, what you might take on, Try not to worry too much, this is just my encouragement, try not to worry too much about what people are posting on Facebook about what they're giving up. Try not to focus on too much on like, well, what's the traditional thing to do? Don't think about, don't, try not to dwell on all the times in which you maybe didn't keep your Lenten fast or, d as you're thinking about the practices that you might give up and the, the practices that you might take on, think, think first and foremost, about how those disciplines might help you encounter the transfigured Jesus. Ask yourself the question, how might this discipline in my life help me to have more moments of transfiguration? Like I did with, with Bliss and with Debbie, of just being able to kind of see people. How, how are these gonna help me see these moments of transfiguration in our world where I can actually see God speaking and moving and acting because he's always present in that work. We just don't often have eyes to see it. So just keep that in your mind as you're thinking about what to give up and what to take on. How is this helping me to, to truly live into this, this idea that God is always present in that work? Whatever you decide to do, it'll hurt. You will suffer a bit. It's not a Lenten discipline if it doesn't. But as you walk, it'll probably hurt less. And as you walk, you might 
actually be drawing nearer to the divine life and becoming more human as you go. And this is like, this is, this is, tr- this is why we do Lent. This is why we, we profess on Ash Wednesday that we are dust and to dust we shall return. Because the, per- the world does not need to see perfect Christians. The world doesn't need to see Christians who have all the right answers or all the right behaviors. The, world's, the world r- truly needs to see people who are willing to walk. To walk with bloody feet. The world needs to see us as people who will suffer and who are willing to grow, to be transfigured. Today we, pro- today we proclaim the good news that as we take up our cross and follow Jesus into the season of Lent, in the midst of a broken and disconnected world, God is present to us in the transfigured face of Christ, showing us what it means to be human and inviting us to participate in his divine life, even as we share in his suffering. And in this suffering, as we become more human, we are actually the ones who are transfigured, as Jesus was. And in that transfiguration, we're not doing it for our own glory. Jesus was never doing it about for his own glory. But we are, we are to be transfigured, and we have the opportunity and the invitation to be transfigured so that the veil can be pulled back between heaven and earth and people can see Jesus through the way that we live. Amen. You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com.